Addressing the growing issue of illegal charters, the wrong answer could cost you a great deal of money. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. The concept of dry leasing, along with a number of other commercial exemptions found in the FARs, can be very beneficial operating tools in the aviation industry. But when it comes to a lack of understanding these sometimes complex rules, one wrong step could be very costly. So, to help us avoid making those wrong steps, I'm joined by Elizabeth Vassar-Brown from the firm Cooling & Herbers in Kansas City, and from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, David Norton with Shackelford, Bowen, McKinley, and Norton. David, let's set the table here. Can you give us a high-level summary of the problems, you know, business aircraft operators run into when it comes to the issue of illegal charters? There's a common consensus that more and more people are conducting what are called illegal charter operations. What that really means is they're out flying under the FAA's non-commercial rules called Part 91, when in fact for business aircraft, they really should be operated under the FAA's commercial rules, which are generally found at Part 135. So illegal charter is you're out flying Part 91, you really should be Part 135. 135 has many more requirements in order to uh, properly conduct the flight. Well, let's define our terms. What's a legal charter? What's an illegal charter? And the question is, are you acting as a commercial operator under the FAA's rules? To turn that on its head, the FAA says, if you're an operator carrying a person or property for compensation or hire, then you're a commercial operator. So to break that down even further, operator generally means either the registered owner of the airplane or somebody who has taken over operational control of that aircraft through some kind of a lease or a use agreement. Uh, The definition of person basically means any warm body other than a pilot, a required crew member. And the tricky part is the definition of compensation. That's, That's the flow of value, of cost sharing, of capital contribution, of anything across lines, across corporate lines, to help cover the cost of the flight. So probably the most common example of somebody who is a commercial operator and doesn't realize it, somebody who creates a company, uh, they have, you know, Miss A creates her company, My Airplane LLC. She makes capital contributions into the company. The company is the operator of the airplane. It's the registered owner. She's flying around in the back as a passenger. What do I have? I have an operator carrying persons for compensation. That's a commercial operation. So those are the basic definitions of a commercial operator. David, where does the concept of leasing come into this equation? You know, a lease is a state law concept. In Texas, you have a lease if you have a document that transfers the right to use property in exchange for consideration, some kind of rental. Once I have a state law lease, the FAA looks at it and says, if the lessor is providing both the airplane and a crew member, generally a pilot, that's a wet lease. The FAA's concept of a wet lease or their general rule is that if it's a wet lease, if the lessor is providing both the airplanes and the pilots in some form or fashion, and that lessee, the party who's getting the benefit of it, is paying for it, 
back to our first definition. I have an operator who's carrying persons for compensation. That's a commercial operation. Conversely, in the industry, a dry lease means, hey, I got a lessor. The lessor turns the airplane over to some lessee, to some other operator, through a, generally through a written agreement for large aircraft. And that lessee goes and gets his, her, its own pilot. And at that point, I look at the lessee and I say, okay, are you a commercial operator or not? But under a dry lease, what I can say is if the registered owner is leasing the airplane and has turned over the airplane to a lessee and the lessee gets uh, its own pilots, then that lessor is not conducting a commercial operation. So now we have this concept of commercial operator, dry lease, wet lease. The last is a what's called a sham dry lease. And that's where you've broken it out. You understand the rules enough to say, well, I don't want to be a wet lease, so I'm going to provide the airplane under this dry lease. But oh, by the way, Leslie, you've got to use these pilots or I'm going to provide them in another agreement. That's what the FAA calls a sham dry lease. It's not really an effective dry lease. It's really in the nature of a, of a wet lease. And so that, again, is a commercial operation. So those are the basic definitions. Those are, that's the building blocks that you need to use in order to continue with your analysis of Gosh, what am I flying under the right rules? Part 91 or 135. Liz, do you have an example of that? Yeah, it's fairly recent. It's from 2018. And what happened was they they fixed uh, they had structured fixed wing charters as dry leases with aircraft owners, and then they directed those uh, lessees to use their um, pilot services. So they entered into pilot service agreements. And that there is clearly a sham lease. The pilots were involved in the agreement that posed itself as a, as a dry lease agreement. Exactly. So the company was fined $45,000. Its owner was fined about $10,000. And the owner actually pled guilty for failing to report to the FAA under the truth and leasing requirements for a number of flights. What about an operation that says this pilot is going in this direction? Let's find a passenger who's going in the same direction and perhaps we can match them up. It's almost like an Uber. What about something like that? Yeah. So that's another great example of some of the concern about illegal cost sharing or illegal charter that's out there. And it's exactly that. People have realized through the power of the internet that, gosh, it's really easy to connect people. And the pilot says, oh, yeah, where are you going? You're going to Santa Fe? Oh, yeah, I'm going to Santa Fe. Yeah, I'll take you. We'll just split the cost. Well, guess what? That's probably an illegal charter. The FAA does recognize, you know, I'm a pilot. I have my own little airplane. If Liz and I wanted to go someplace and I was going to go no matter what, um, there are some instances where you may be able to do a little bit of cost sharing, but that's a really narrow circumstance. And the concern in the industry right now is that there are some web-based platforms that are really abusing that concept and are really conducting what amounts to a charter by another name. It is a concern. And although there are occasions where this is appropriate, it's very limited on what, you know, how you can um, recoup the cost sharing. And so you have to be careful that you comply with, with those rules and not exceed the amount that uh, that you uh, recoup for those, and again, it's in it's in ninety one five hundred one as well. So now that we have these definitions, David, how do we decide whether to be a Part ninety one operator or a Part one thirty five operator? Yeah, so I recommend you run a simple checklist. So step one of the checklist is to ask the question: Is this a commercial operation? You'll look at who's the operator. Is the operator carrying persons, and is there compensation occurring? 
If you can break that chain, if you're not carrying anybody or if you're paying for everything out of your own pocket, be, be it a company that's flying the airplane incidental to its business, or like in my case, my own little small airplane, and I'm just flying around out and paying for it in my own pocket, then you're done. You're a Part 91 operator, and you, you don't have to you can fly under Part 91. You're non-commercial. But if I'm carrying somebody and in some form or fashion, we're doing some cost sharing, we're doing reimbursement, I'm using that flight department company, then the next question, now you're a commercial operation. So the next question of the checklist is, are there any exemptions that apply? The FAA has provided for business aircraft some very narrow, limited exemptions. A lot of people understand the terms and the concepts, but they're very often misapplied because they are very narrow. But the, you'll hear people talk about demonstration flights or affiliated group use, timesharing agreements, interchange agreements, joint ownership. Those are all concepts that are generally found at uh, section 91.501 of the regulation. So the next part of the checklist is to look at those exemptions and see if they apply. If the answer is yes, uh, then go forward and fly around Part 91 and stay within the narrow confines of that exemption. But under the checklist, if the answer is no, I don't fit into that exemption, I'm, I'm doing something that is truly commercial in nature, then the FAA says, great, go get a Part 135 certificate. So again, when you go through that step is, are you a commercial operator? If not, fly Part 91. If you are, can you apply any exemptions? If you do, fly under the exemption. If you can't, go get a 135 certificate. That's the general checklist you want to follow every time you want to go fly. When we talk about inappropriate cost sharing, Liz, are we talking about cases like the Henman Company? That's exactly correct. So, uh, And that's a case that's currently um, uh, being prosecuted by the FAA in federal court in the Western District of Michigan. And what's going on in that case, it, it kind of you know, cut to the chase is they charged more than what was allowed under 91501. And so uh, what, what, what uh, Hinman was doing was they were charging 100% of the direct operating cost for the flight. Now, since that time, they have um, returned that money but what they have said, what Hinman is arguing now, or how they're defending this case, is they're saying two things. If they violated 91501 by charging more than what was allowed, then it was a technical violation. And also that they have reimbursed all that money. So there's no violation now. And again, that case is the largest fine ever imposed by the FAA, 11,000 per violation and 300 violations for the proposed civil penalty at this point in time is $3.3 million. Well, that's just remarkable. David, when we talk about faulty dry leasing, what are we talking about here? Faulty dry leasing, it's, it's either people that are trying to do it right and they don't understand it or they are purposely setting up structures where it looks like a dry lease but it's really intended to be a wet lease where the FAA is enforcing against that and where you quite often see it is the uh, airplane manager who's trying to help out the owner who's wants to make some money off the airplane and say oh we'll set up a dry leasing program and they make it available to the public uh, and and again it looks like a dry lease but it's really not Liz, do you have an example of that? Yeah, and that's interstate helicopters. And again, this is a fairly recent case. And what they had done in interstate helicopters is they had structured fixed wing charters as dry leases. And then they directed their customers or their uh, lessees to use their crews. 
So although it seems like they're two different companies, they're actually a sham dry at lease. We've talked about the basic definitions, and we've talked about a checklist. That is a, a checklist that operators can follow to make sure the operator is flying under the right set of operating rules, either Part 91 or Part 135. We also talked about some of the examples of common operations that really aren't flying under the right set of rules. And we talked about some examples of what can happen when the operators get caught. Yep, that's correct. And I'll tell you, I tell clients all the time, that are looking at this, they're generally here one of three ways you're going to get caught and that pays getting better and better at it. One way, most common way is you're out doing a program, a quote dry leasing program, the chart, the proper charter operator down hangar row knows what you're doing and they pick up the phone and call the FA, which is entirely appropriate. Um, so somebody drops a dime on the illegal operator. Another case I've seen is where disgruntled employees feel that something's being violated and they call the FA. Those are both bad. What's even worse, the other way to get caught is if the aircraft is involved in an accident or incident. And after the fact, the FA comes back and uh, starts to look at what's going on. And that's when it could be really bad that the FA is determining after a crash that, gosh, you you were conducting what amounted to an illegal charter and your insurance company starts to say, hmm, that's interesting. That's not really what uh, we had insured you for. Liz, your final thoughts? Yeah, it, well, just a caveat on what, what David was just saying is that when the FAA is investigating, they're not just investigating that incident or accident flight. They're investigating the operator. And there was a case, again, it was an interstate helicopter case in 2008 where there was a five fatality due to a bird strike. It had nothing to do with um, the particular violation that the FAA found. But as they were going through the records, they identified a flight that they identified as a commercial operation. and But the pilot argued that it was a demonstration flight. Uh, the FAA didn't, didn't buy that. And w- the facts of that case were that the, the aircraft took off from Oklahoma. It went to Shreveport, Louisiana it stayed with passengers. It stayed for a few hours. The passengers got back on, went back to Oklahoma, and they paid 4500 for that flight. Well, the FAA didn't buy that that was a demonstration flight, and that pilot's license was suspended. They are looking. It doesn't have to be the actual flight of the incident or the accident of the incident that gives rise to the investigation. They are going to be looking at the operator. That's Elizabeth Kosser-Brown at Cooling and Herbers in Kansas City. You also heard from David Norton from the firm Shackelford Bowen McKinley and Norton in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. For more information on the illegal charter, visit the NBAA website, nbaa.org slash illegal charter. Again, that's nbaa.org slash, and this is all one word, illegal charter. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website, your favorite podcast website, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan. Flight Plan.